Father, you know me. You know me even better than I know myself. You know my deepest, darkest thoughts. You know the idols of my heart. You know where Jasper is failing in his affection and love for you to where I turn to worthless things. And I put you on the shelf. And yet I wake up and your mercies are new every morning. God, I do not deserve you. God, you know the heart of fear that I have, that you've called me to a place that I would stand and open your word. You know the judgment that I know that's on me that I'll fall into if I twist it or misuse it. So God, be patient with me. Let me be your mouthpiece. Be with us as a church. Continue to shower us with your patience and your mercy and let us be overcome with the joy and the wonder and the awe that is you. Awaken these apathetic, numb minds that we always have and help us to focus on greater things, keeping our eyes and our minds on things not of the earth but in heaven. Help us to think on these things. Be with us this morning, God, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So at this time, our kids are going to be leaving for their field day. So let's wave them as, we, as they leave. You can tell they are so excited. Awesome to see our volunteers stepping up and helping. Thank you guys so much. And we do have our baptism classes going right over here where Glenn is, our elder Glenn. He's looking. If you feel led to want to learn more about baptism, head out that way. All right? And we're going to get into our next lesson in the book of James. So we have a little bit of time. I know it's Memorial Day, and so we're going we're gonna to get into this and get straight to the point. So I want us to recap what we've learned so far. I want to tell you something, a little something and a little reminder about this series called Real Faith. Why have we called it Real Faith? Because faith is so important. It's the thing that actually saves us. By grace through faith are you saved. This is the gift of God, not of works, not of yourself. If faith is so important, and if it is the only thing that saves us, then it, it's worth spending time making sure that the faith that we say we have is real. And this is what the book of James is doing, and that's, we've, we've tried to be very intentional to make our outlines, to make the way we talk about it, not lead us to what is wrong about the book of James, not that the book of James is wrong, but the wrong approach to the book of James, is that James is trying to say, you need to do this in order to be saved. You know, Martin Luther, uh, not, Martin Luther actually had a problem with the book of James because the Catholic Church was using it against him in his defense for grace alone by faith alone. And they were using the book of James to try to point out where he was wrong about Scripture in that works and things like this is needed for salvation. And he was up against the battle, but they were misusing the book of James. James is simply saying this. James is saying and complimenting the other side of what, what Paul would say. James is saying, yes, it is faith alone, but we want to make sure if it is by faith alone that the faith is real. And here's what real faith is looks like. So let's look at some of the things we've learned so far. We see an example of real faith through certain things. In trials, we've seen faith manifest itself in certain ways when we go through hardship. In trials, how about this? In status, whether we're poor or rich, 
Faith does something. Faith responds to those circumstances and statuses of life. The kingdom of God and faith flips it upside down. In temptation, you know, temptation and desires come, real faith responds to those things in a certain way. And then in response to the word, when we hear it, do we do it? Or are we deceived by our hearing? That's the great test for all of us is that, is that sometimes we go to bed at night, we wake up, and we go about our day thinking everything's good because we are saturating our ears with God's word and it's deceiving ourselves. That's why James says, deceiving ourselves into thinking that we're good. James is saying, no, the whole point of hearing is to learn and to move on to doing the word. And what we're gonna learn about today is that real faith will manifest itself in a certain way when interacting with one another. And so we're gonna see that in response to people. So when interacting with people, we're gonna see this. Real faith does this. Real faith, and here's the simple reality. Real faith shows no partiality. That's what we're gonna talk about today. Real faith and the interaction with one another and with people, real faith is going to manifest itself in an impartial way. And oh man, do we need this truth today because we live in a constant state of partiality, becoming judges and determining who gets our attention, time, energy, and effort, who we like, who we don't like, elevating people in our mind to hear and to hear. We may not do that intentionally, knowing it, thinking about it that way, but it happens constantly. And so we're gonna see another test of faith today, the taste, the, the test of partiality. Look at verse two, I mean, chapter two, verse one of the book of James. Chapter two, verse one. James says this, my brothers show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, now immediately, I want you to look back at the, the last verse of chapter one. In verse 26, he says this, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. In another way, you could say his faith is fake. And then he says this in verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That seems like such a disconnect from what he's talking about, but it very much makes sense. And that verse makes sense why he's going to go in to talk about partiality, right? Imagine as he talked about orphans and widows, what type of people are those? Those are people who are in positions where they need help, who may be in positions where they're unable to give back in return, who, who truly are needy. And it's like as James is thinking about what pure religion does, how it gets involved in the lives of those who are needy and who need help, he began to start to think of why we tend to not invest in people who have great needs. It's because of the sin of partiality, which is why now we go into chapter two and he says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Pay attention to the phrase, as you hold the faith. Here we are, talking about real faith. 
When you see verse 1 of chapter 2, I want you to think about it like this. James is going to say there is no room for favorites when it comes to God's church. When it comes to being a Christian, there's no room in our hearts to play this partiality game, to play favorites. It, it's, it's like trying to hold a stack of something in your hand and then you add more to it. You know, I got this problem. I get this problem where I try to, no matter what I'm doing, no matter what's in my hands, I, I try to hold a cup of coffee. I just force it. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take my cup of coffee with me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing while I'm holding a cup. How many times I've gone out of the door in the morning with, like, my backpack on, I've got, I've got something else in this hand, and I'm trying to get my keys, and then I'm, like, trying to fidget with the door while still holding my cup of coffee. The backpack slides off and, like, slings my coffee around like crazy, right? Just put the coffee down and come back to it. So what do I do? I go and make myself another cup of coffee, and I'd rather be late wherever I'm going because i got to have my coffee, right? I'm like literally taking my kids to the playground, taking my kids to the playground, and like swinging on the swing with a cup of coffee. Now I'm talking like, like, a, like a mug, like, uh, <laughs> like trying, you gotta have that cup of coffee, gotta hold it, right? You know, and so there's just, when you're trying to swing, there's no room for coffee in your hands. Same thing when it comes to the church. If we're holding the faith, the two cannot live together. And he's going to make this point. Favoritism, partiality, you cannot hold both. You're going to push the other one out. So there's this test. If there's partiality in our heart that we're just living into, there's going to be a sign that the faith is pushed out. And it may be a sign that there's not real faith there because the character of God is to be impartial. It is, it is a great characteristic of God, one that we don't talk about. We talk about his omnipresence and his immutability and his omnipotence and all of these things we like lift, but there's this reverberating theme through Scripture, and it is very easy to find from the Old Testament to the New is the character of God's impartiality. And by the way, this is the solution to racism. This is the solution to what the world's trying to speak into, which the world fails drastically at trying to deal with. Only the gospel can deal with this. As you hold the faith of Jesus Christ, there is no room for partiality. Show no partiality. So here's the big question we're going to ask today. And I'm gonna go through it pretty quick because I want us to just to see the natural flow. How does real faith eliminate partiality? What is it about faith and, 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 and having this faith that we hold on to how, what is it that's so powerful about eliminating this thing that seems so natural to our life in the world that we live in of playing favorites? Well, let's dive right in. Real faith is able to eliminate partiality first and foremost because it knows what it looks like. It knows it when it sees it. Look at verse two. Here's what he gives. He gives the command. He says what needs to be said, and now he's gonna give the scenario. He says, show no partiality, verse two, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, hey, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, he says this in verse four, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He's showing, hey, this is what partiality looks like among you. And he gives a scenario, a scenario they would have been very 
well acquainted with, they haven't understood. So I need to give a disclaimer before we get into this. We need to understand that when we're reading this book and we're looking back 2,000 years ago at a different time and in a different culture and even a different governmental socioeconomic society, things were different, but the heart and the issues are exactly the same today. Here's what they were dealing with. Back in their day, they would have had a very clear defined social class of rich and poor. There was no middle class. It was most of the people were poor and were oppressed and the people who were rich made their money based off the poor. That still exists today, but we don't see it and it's not as evident as they would have understood. If like if I gave this scenario to us, we might not, we might not be able to relate to a scenario like this, but here's what we can relate to. We can relate to comparing two people together and seeing someone who we can tell by their dress has money versus we can tell by someone else's dress that they don't have money. Now, is there any temptation to be partial to one of those people? Absolutely. Why? Because guess what? Culture may change. Government may change. Socioeconomics may change, but the heart doesn't. And without Christ, we are going to be manifesting very selfish, very partial hearts, playing favorites all the time. And here's the scenario. You have a, fine, a man with fine clothing comes into your assembly. And what do you do? Now you have a poor man who comes in. Now you have this scenario. There's only a very few seats. They didn't have seats like this. They would have had just only a few spots, special spots where someone could sit. And you give the few very special spots to this rich person. And you tell the poor person to stand in the back or even sit at your feet. James is bringing this scenario because this is one that they were facing. This is one, this is, he's implying like, hey, you're dealing with this. This is a temptation. This is happening. I'm telling you to show no partiality as you hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm helping you understand what that looks like among you. What does it look like among us? Well, we, we could play the same game when it comes to, to favorites, when it comes to the rich and the poor, and I think we need to keep that in mind for the main focus because that's what James is keeping in mind is literally rich and poor. But partiality doesn't just show up in our hearts when it comes to people who have money and don't have money. I'm seeing this crazy divide happen in the church today, and the enemy is causing it. He's loving it. There's nothing more he'd want to do than cause frustration, hatred, and partiality, an eye that looks at one another with judging thoughts and distinguishments. One of the things that I see today is like why people, people walk into a church and they start judging whether or not who's wearing masks and who aren't wearing masks, right? I mean, think what's going on in our hearts, man? They're, they're, we're beginning to judge each other based off what side, of this, uh, uh, what side of this argument we fall on about the virus and Republican or Democrat, and we literally begin filtering our thoughts about one another based off if someone wears a mask or not, whether they're vaccinated or not whether they believe in vaccinations, whether they don't. Like, this is the hot button issues right now, right? Is there, is there a temptation to be partial? Like, if I have a group of people that I'm gonna hang out with, and this group over here is mask wearers, and this group over here is not, which one am I gonna choose to hang out with, right? This, these type of scenarios, like that one, I think that one hits closer to home. They would have felt the weight of this one, maybe we feel the weight of that one. It's in us, we can show no partiality, and man, there's plenty of opportunities to play favorites and be partial to one another. But let's, let's keep moving. Here's what I want us to see. 
Real faith knows it when it sees it. It knows what it looks like. And here's three things that real faith will pay attention to when the opportunity for partiality shows up. First one's this, surface level eyes. He says here, he gives a description, someone comes in and you notice their clothing. That's what you look at. And your, your decision on how you're gonna interact with that person is simply based on what you see on the outside. Haven't we from the Old Testament learned about the nature of God that he does not look on the outward appearance? Right, didn't, we, didn't we learn about Jesse and, uh, and his son David and when Samuel went to go find the king, David was like the last person on the totem pole because he was this young shepherd boy who's like working out in the field. And he's got these older brothers who are like brawny and strong, you know. They could have been like a, a perfect advertisement for like really strong paper towels. And God's like, nope, 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 nope. You're judging wrongly because you're looking on the outside. I have the one that I know who, who loves me, who is my king, who's my anointed, and it was David. God has done all these things in the past to help us understand, to help us to see how partial we constantly are. We're gonna struggle with it, but when real faith gets into your heart, it begins to weed that out because you can't hold both. Real faith begins to push it out. It's like dumping a bunch of rocks into a glass of water that all just starts to come out because the real faith is in you. This is why it's so important to analyze ourselves through this, because it helps us understand if the faith is in us or not. So first thing is this, surface level eyes. Second thing is this, selective attention. He says, and you pay attention to the person with money. Who in your life are you tempted to pay attention to, right? You're in a crowded room. Who is it that you select your attention for? and who you don't. What is it about that attention for you that causes you to choose who you're gonna hang out with and not? Now, let me make another disclaimer. It's impossible to show attention to everyone in the room, right? So our attention's gonna be selective, but I'm talking about the moments in your heart. If you let the spirit inside of you pay attention is when you're showing partiality in a way that's evil and wrong. And you're being selective in your attention. And then thirdly, this is the next thing I see, exclusive speech, right? So what do your eyes, what do your eyes pay attention to? What, what is your actual energy for attention? Who do you give that to? And then this, is your speech inclusive or exclusive, right? Look at the way he talked to the rich person. Hey, come over here, man. You sit here. You sit over there, right? And we had a little, a little soul searching to figure out in those moments where maybe that takes place. Maybe it, could, maybe it could just simply be conversations, you know? You have it, you're meeting and mingling here at church, and you're able to figure out who it is you want to talk to, and then maybe you're able to understand who you don't want to talk to, and like the whole, the whole energy is given to try to like get out of the conversation. Why, why, why? Pay attention to that. What's going on? What's going on? Real faith eliminates partiality because it knows what it looks like. It's able to identify it. But then secondly, this, in response to that, it's able to eliminate partiality because it hates what it makes us. You know, did he just use the word hate in church Is, as a good thing? Yes, there are things that God hates and there are things that we should hate. The issue is we take hate and we place it on things that we shouldn't. But here's something that we should hate. Look what he says in verse four. Have you not then, when you do this, here's what it means about us. Here's what it means. Here's the reality of the person we've become. Have you not 
then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Real faith hates what partiality makes us because it makes us judges with evil, vicious thoughts. And the reason I put that word vicious there is because that's what the word evil is implying is vicious intent. There's something that's brewing inside of us when we make distinctions among people based off outward appearance or our own selfish desires. What's really going on in our heart is we're taking the place of a judge and we're taking the place of a judge who has evil intentions. Now already, I guarantee you, James's audience is starting to understand where he's going with this because they knew very much what it was like to be in front of a judge with evil intentions a judge who could just be paid off with money. Do you see? This happened all the time. It still happens today in third world countries all the time. If you got money, you're able to keep the cops and the judges off your back. And who are the ones who get the short end of the stick? It's the ones who don't have money. They would have understood this. It's almost like he's saying this. When you show partiality, you, it's like you spend all Saturday getting together talking about how bad these judges and these rich people are. But when you show partiality among yourself, you're taking the same heart that these evil judges who throw you in prison. Same heart. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? This should call, he says that because he knows that should create a visceral response of just grief and frustration and anger because that's, a, that's something that should not be. That's wrong, it's evil. Real faith is able to eliminate partiality, not only because it knows what it looks like, it's able to identify it, but it hates what it makes us. It's not okay with that. It grieves that, it mourns over that, it desires to not be that. It spends its time and energy and effort trying to avoid that. I mean, what would happen, what would happen if we began to think this way, really tuned in and paid attention to the moments of our life when we began to make distinctions among one another and let the Spirit convict us of those moments? I'm telling you, it, it's been happening in the church for thousands of years, and it happens today. And one of the ways it happens is through the difficulty and the hardships that come around. We, we have uniquely gone through some spiritual difficulties and everything that's going on in the world is the brewing of the prince of the power of the air to do something to the church. All of it is spiritual warfare that's designed to do something to us, to deteriorate the faith, to cause us to lack joy, to fight amongst one another, to become distracted and forget the goal, the powerful goal of being lights to the world because the enemy hates it. We should, we should care very much when we start to do these things. Now, let's move quickly. One of the other ways faith is able to eliminate partiality is because it knows why this is so serious. Look what he says here in verse five through 11. Read along with me, and I want us to pay attention to these things. He says this, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Verse five, it knows, faith knows why this is so serious because God isn't like that at all. Let me read you some verses about God. Proverbs 22, two says, the rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is maker of them all. Job 34, 19 says, God who shows no partiality to princes, 
nor regards the rich above the poor, for they all are the work of his hands. Romans 10, 12 says, there is no distinction, there's that same word, distinction, no distinction, but when we show partiality, we make distinctions. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. That's huge. Because the Jews and everyone else outside of them, there was this constant racial war brewing, constant differences. They could not get along. But then Jesus Christ gets along, and what happens? For the first time ever, these people are brought near, as Ephesians says. They're all brought near because they have the same common goal, and they begin to understand who they are and who others are in light of the gospel and Jesus Christ. And it changes the way they interacted. Doesn't mean they didn't still have issues in the past brewing up. There's no distinction between Drew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. Acts 15, we hear in the Jerusalem council as they're deliberating over Gentiles and Jews. And he made no distinction between us and them cleansing their hearts by faith. The book of Acts is wonderful because the book of Acts begins to show God's work of like, I don't care if you got Jewish blood or not. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. All people. And he had to show that lesson to Peter, right? Don't call unclean what I've made clean. And Peter's like, all right, God has truly shown me that there is no distinction. First Peter 1.17, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Romans 2.11, there is no partiality with God. Colossians 3.25, for he, does, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. You see, partiality isn't just like being cool and like being cool with her. Partiality is being just and right all the time with whoever, whenever. Doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter what they've done. Doesn't matter what they can do for you. They're going to get the same treatment. The right, fair, same treatment. This is the character of God. This is how God is. Deuteronomy 10, 17, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. That's a big deal because judges take bribes. Acts 10, 34, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. That's just a few. Easy to find. This is all over scripture. This is a huge character trait of God. And how good is this character trait? Because it means this. It doesn't matter what anybody else says about you. It doesn't matter what anybody else does to you or holds back from you. What they think of you is not the truth and does not matter. What matters is what God thinks of you. And your accommodation comes from the Lord alone. And the good news is this, is God looks out in the world and he shows pity on all mankind. And he puts all mankind in the mud and in the mire and the miry clay and says, all have sinned and fallen short of the God glory of my glory. All are deserving of hell. All are sinners and all desperately need my intervention. And I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it freely. I'm going to, I'm going to cancel debts that they couldn't even pay on their own. Even if they had a million years to try to pay them off, I'm just going to wipe it away for them. I'm going to make a way for them to be restored to me because I love them. And I choose to love them, not based on anything that they've done or said or thought, but when the day of judgment comes, which is coming, the righteous, impartial judge will judge every single one of us without favoritism. 
That means it doesn't matter how much money you had on planet Earth, how much money you didn't have. It doesn't matter what type of status you had. It doesn't matter what your parents were. It doesn't matter anything that you've done on planet Earth. You will be judged on the basis of this. You will either be judged by your works or you'll be judged by the works of Jesus. And those who are judged by the works of Jesus are those who've called upon Jesus' name and faith and called out to him and said, save me. And he absolutely does. And you receive his righteousness because he received your sinfulness and nailed it to the cross. But all those who reject him will get an opportunity to plead their case. And guess what? It's going to be guilty. That's why it's so important that people hear this message to believe in Jesus. Because the impartial judge is going to rightfully and justly one day after he's done being patient, when the day comes of judgment, he's going to bring judgment. But the issue is, we here on planet Earth make ourselves into the type of judge that God isn't. We become like evil judges and we make distinctions among ourselves. We take bribes. It shows up in many different ways. But it's always, always going to show up when money's involved. That's when it's really going to manifest those things that are brewing in our heart. That's why he's focusing in on the rich and the poor. Real faith is able to eliminate partiality because it knows why it's so serious. One, because God isn't like that. Verses six through seven, because it perpetuates the problem. Look what happened. Verse six, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? The problem was perpetuated because everyone was constantly showing partiality. The oppression was constantly going. And it was, it was like this, this weird thing where it's like, these are the very people that are hurting you and you're giving them partiality. You're, you're cow-telling to them. You're giving in to them. And you're trying to play favorites with them and oppressing the very same brother next to you who's being oppressed with the same oppression you're being oppressed with. The problem is perpetuated. You see, our world does not know how to solve the problem of racism because the world's solution is you gotta, you gotta step on someone to lift someone else up. This teaching of scripture from the character of God teaches us that everyone should be in the place of honor. And when you look out on planet earth, who are the people who have been way down on the totem pole? The church should be the ones lifting those people up to the same place of honor as everyone else. He says this. He says, you have dishonored the poor man. He doesn't say anything wrong about honoring the rich. He's saying it's wrong to be impartial to them. And he's using the rich as an example of people who are oppressive and who are unjust. He's not condemning having money. Earlier in chapter one, he talked about the rich brother and the poor brother and how they need to respond to those circumstances. Because it's like this. On planet Earth, you have some status. When you have money, you're able to be in a place where the comforts and the leisures of life are here. That's not bad, but you need to know thyself. And the Bible says, humble yourself. Bring yourself back down to the place you need to be. But the poor, the truly those who are poor, are way down here, way down here. They need to be lifted up. That's why they're given special attention. It's not because somehow they're being exalted above the rich or above people who have comforts and leisure. Both are being trying to told, be told, here's what needs to happen. You need to humble yourself, and these people need God to exalt them. He's going to do both, and guess where he's going to bring both of us to the same level, same level. That's why when we're rich, the temptation is to think we don't need God. It's to put ourselves in a position where we think we're self-sustaining. We're self-reliant. 
God is unable to exalt us in that position because we're already exalted. Therefore, God has to humble us. That's why the the rich are supposed to boast in their humiliation and the poor to boast in their exaltation, right? We're both in different levels of life. And the thing that God does to equalize us is something to boast in and be happy about. So that means when the rich, life doesn't work out the way you want it to and the money doesn't solve all your problems and you're humiliated, that's good, rejoice. That's God bringing back down. And the poor, when God brings you through those hardships, and he keeps the gospel in mind and you're in the position where you're totally relying on him and you're singing with joy, he's gonna exalt you one day and you're boasting in that exaltation that's coming. It's coming, right? We're all being leveled out. I think it's so hard for us to hear something like this and not filter it through our political beliefs. That just needs to be thrown out the window. What is scripture teaching? What is the heart of God? Let this be the authority. Let this be the guide. And I'm telling you, the world does not have the answer to how to solve impartiality. They don't because it's so one-sided. I see it all the time. You suffered. They didn't. Now it's time for them to suffer and the this, da-da-da-da. It's not. If you see anyone that's in a place of dishonor, you lift them up, but you don't tear someone down in the process. The world needs the gospel. Only the gospel can do that. The problem is perpetuated by partiality. That's why we must rid ourselves of it, and that's why faith eliminates it. Faith knows why it's so serious, because it's the opposite of the second greatest commandment. Bear with me, guys. We're almost done. Look at verse 8. He says this, if you really fulfill the royal law, According to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. He immediately reminds a man, partiality has no place in the faith because it, it's not the gospel. I mean, the greatest, greatest commandment from the Old Testament is love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second one is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And the moment we begin to make distinctions and show partiality for whatever reason is the moment we neglect the second greatest commandment. We neglect it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who is your neighbor? It's anyone and everyone that you're around. And God will purposefully, here's where we gotta really tune in. God will purposefully bring the people that's hard for you to wanna be around. He'll do it because he wants to give you an opportunity to show the impartiality. Doesn't mean we don't struggle, but it does mean that there's a fight there and we want to be impartial like our heavenly father. It knows why it's so serious, because it's a sin just like adultery and murder. Look what he says in verse 9 through 10. He says this, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you will become a transgressor of the law. What in the world is he saying there? I want to say it as quick as I can to help us understand it. He's one saying partiality is a sin. Makes me think that they thought maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. He's saying, no, no, no. I see the heart and it's a sin. And here's one of the issues. Early book of the New Testament written primarily to Jewish people who still have their Jewish culture, who, who are relying on the Old Testament, a lot of Old Testament things here. One of their issues is they thought that they were good because Abraham was their father, because they had Jewish blood coursing through their vein. And Jesus was constantly having on his time to deal with his own people. He was constantly having to convince them of their wickedness. Ever heard of the thing, you can't get saved until you're lost, so you got to get people lost before you can get them saved? It's true. 
You, you don't get saved if you don't know you're lost because you don't reach for the lifeboat. You're just, you just wade in the water and you let the sharks eat you because you don't actually think there's a problem. His Jewish brothers had an issue of not knowing their sinfulness and excusing things, just like the rich man who came to Jesus and said, I have kept everything from birth. He says, this one thing you've lacked, sell all and give to the poor, right? There's this sense of like, I've, I've done it. I've done, I've been a good Jew. But the issue is here, he has to help them see that they are more wicked than they think they are. So he, what does he do? He puts partiality on the same plane as adultery and murder. He says, you show favoritism, you play that game in your heart, that's no different than adultery and murder. And you don't have to do all three of those. You just need to do one of those to transgress the law of God and become a lawbreaker and be condemned to hell. He's saying this is very serious. Real faith understands that this is serious. It understands it's nothing like the character of God. It understands that it perpetuates the problem. It understands that the, greatest, the second greatest commandment has no part in it. And it understands that it is a sin. But real faith ultimately, here it is, guys. Bear with me. We're going we're gonna to close it out here. Real faith ultimately understands and is able to eliminate partiality because it knows the solution. It knows the solution. It says here, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. What is the solution here? Living in the scrutiny of the gospel and judging like Jesus. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. That's the gospel that has set you free from sin. That is constantly living under the scrutiny and the filter through the gospel. I understand how God has judged me and what he's done for me. And I'm going to live as people. I'm going to speak and live as a person who is under that authority and who's going to be judged by that. And I know, man, I just see nothing but mercy poured out for me. Mercy poured out for me. Because if I live being judged by that, I got salvation. I've got eternal life. I've got the forgiveness of sins. I've got God's goodness and his mercy on me constantly. You live in light of that, guess what it's going to cause you to do to want to give that to others, which is why he says this at the end. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. God is very clear about this. The way we live and the way we judge others, he will allow for us to come under that same standard. So if we live our life very critical, very, very much in our hearts, maybe even with our words, pigeonholing people into distinctions and making levels and distinctions in our heart and our mind, becoming judges ourselves who determine who's valuable and who's not. God says this, you can be sure of this, that that same judgment you give will be given to you, which means no mercy. That's why showing mercies to others is so important because it reflects that we understand the gospel and we've experienced it. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We can all amen that because it has triumphed in our life over judgment. And so when we die and we meet our Lord and Savior, it is his mercy that's going to pass us through the fires of God's wrath and judgment because of what Jesus has done for us and because he has cho chosen, chosen to grant and show us mercy when we did not deserve it. We need to do the same thing for others. So here's the question I'm going to leave us with today. The question is this. Is your faith real? Right? This is what James is constantly bombarding us with. Is it real? If so, then there should be no room for favorites in your heart because there's no room for it in the gospel. Let's pray. 
God, thank you for your goodness. Part of your goodness is your impartiality, where you will one day bring justice for all those who have been oppressed, but you also give mercy to all. Currently, every single day, as the rain is pouring on us, as the sun is shining, you're being patient, you're being kind, you're being good. But God, you grant mercy to everyone who calls upon you. No one is excluded. Everyone gets an equal part in your kingdom, no matter the status of life. God, would you help us to hear on planet Earth to be a judge like you? We're constantly tempted to be a judge that makes distinctions with favoritism and evil thoughts. Remove that from us through the gospel. Remind us of it and help us to give that to others always. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.